Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, hi, good morning at you as my mic tries to get away from me. Oh, oh, come on, come on. So I, I'm going to have to do the show from over here, okay? <laughs> we, we've got a... Okay, I'll just move a little bit. <laughs> Okay, hi, it's Thursday, it's uh, May 23rd, and uh, I'm a little fearful of what I'm about to do, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Uh, Yesterday I spent a great deal of time talking about my true grief about a glorious healthy tree that had been slaughtered by a neighbor Um, and that did seem to uh, resonate with many of you. So somewhat serendipitous that I wake up this morning and there is a very long story uh, about the death of trees in the Washington Post today. And it centers specifically on the ash tree. Uh, There are many different types of ash, white ash, green ash, blue ash, black ash, pumpkin ash, to name a few. Those that I just mentioned have been deemed by an international union of conservationists to be critically endangered, which essentially means they're gone. Then there's only one more step, and that's extinction. Now, the, these trees, these ash trees, are all over American forests, in American yards. Uh, a few weeks ago when I was in my... Uh, hometown of Green Bay, Wisconsin, I took a walk with my mother and I noted that there were these two big stumps in a neighbor's yard. And she said, oh, ash trees. And I said, is there a, there's a beetle. And she said, I still have one, but it will be gone. I remember as a child living through the death of the glorious elm trees that lined the city streets and that too to a uh, invasive bug uh, and brought with it what was called Dutch elm disease. So the reality is we keep hearing about you know extinction and that we are in I think is it the sixth major extinction in uh, global history and planetary history. Uh, And we are the ones, humans, that have set off this extinction. And when we think of extinction, at least when I think of extinction, I'm almost always thinking of uh, animals. 
it's the flora as well that is dying off. A United Nations report, most recent one, uh, said as many as one million plant and animal species are closing in on total annihilation. And and we, you know, I understand why if it's a polar bear or if it's an African elephant, a snow leopard, where it, we, you know, it gets attention, these glorious, beautiful, extraordinary animals. But trees, toads, bats, these things that we give short shrift to are every bit, if not sometimes, more important to our biosphere. Uh, the beetle that is doing in all the ash trees in the United States, and believe me, there's no, we don't know how to stop it, so the beetle, this one little damn beetle, they figure the first one came to the United States probably just 20 years ago. Can you imagine, in 20 years, some little effing bug that never belonged here in the first place. Build a wall! Build a wall! Probably came over on, you know, a pallet on a cargo ship, as these things do. Um, come on, buddy. Just give me a little... <laughs> He's flagging. He's flagging. Okay, so I, I read this article, and it, um, you know, if you have an ash tree, say goodbye to it. It's, it's going to be dead. Um, the ash is what is used for Major League Baseball bats, <laughs> uh, and some have been stockpiling uh, as much ash as they can, the folks who do make that stuff. And um, it appears the American beech is probably the next uh, forest tree that uh, is going to succumb. Um, a lot of our pines are in trouble. The American chestnut is pretty much wiped out. The American elm, as I said, uh, destroyed. So again, the idea that someone would cut down a healthy tree is, is just mind-blowing. Listen to this. The total disappearance of a native tree species is an almost unheard of event. The ash extinction, because it's coming, the ash extinction would be the first time in the continental United States that a native tree simply vanished. So, why does any of this matter? Well, American forests offset nearly 15% of our carbon emissions. Scientists also keep finding evidence that 
exposure to trees benefits us mentally, physically. They're good for our health. Researchers are discovering that forests' recycling of, of water can account for half or more of the precipitation in the middle of our country, in continental interiors. And our forests can actually influence the weather halfway around the globe. In other words, if we lose our forests, and we're heading that way, we may lose much of our rainfall. And that then puts us on an endangered species list. And yet, you know, this has been known for a long time. Yes, we've made efforts to uh, create preserves and national forests and such things. But with global trade, uh, the fact is, is the next, the next bug, the next killer, could well be on a cargo ship uh, docking right now at, at one of our ports. Um, it's, uh, it's really something. So I just want to say, I'll close with what this article closes with. It is often said that a society should be judged by how it treats its most vulnerable. Well, you know, if that's the case, then there's a hell. We're going straight. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Because we treat our vulnerable like crap. If a society is judged, and it should be, on how it treats its most vulnerable, that includes our trees the flora, and on both counts, obviously, we fail. I don't know. There are no solutions that we know of. I mean, isn't that amazing? So, I'm just saying, the trees. Hug a tree. Hug a tree. No stay in power, this, this, it is slightly, you know, penile-like, and it's, um, yeah, whatever. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, uh-oh, somebody's saying the sound is too low. Now, I got to tell you, someone said that yesterday, and nobody else agreed, so... I am not inclined unless I get a tsunami here of others saying that I'm not I'm not taking responsibility. Okay? Oh. Well, speaking of death of trees and I got to tell you too the bats around here are uh in terrible trouble. Uh terrible trouble. And uh, I, was, I was enjoying my backyard the other night until mosquitoes sort of drove me in. And I thought, mosquitoes, wow, I have not been plagued with mosquitoes. 
And then it occurred to me that I wonder if the fact that there seemed, not besides the fact that it's been raining like hell all the time, I wonder if the mosquitoes are an indication that the bats are going. Because what do bats do? They eat tons of mosquitoes and other insects. So I want to do a um, two quick <coughs> obits, two remarkable lives, two remarkable people. The first um, I, is, was uh, recently at the White House, and I, you will maybe recall this poor soul uh, brought to the White House, uh, occupied currently by you-know-who, and he was there to receive an honor. And as only you-know-who is capable of, uh, he mishandled the entire thing and in fact angered, embarrassed the very people he was supposed to be honoring. This was when uh, Trump was honoring the Navajo code breakers who, without whom I wonder if we would have won uh, the war against Japan. <coughs> it was the only military code that the Japanese could ever not crack. And Fleming Begay was one of these code breakers. He died <coughs> recently at the age of 97. But how awful that even in his obituary, Donald Trump inserts his loathsome self. Because Trump, when he brought these code code talkers in, of course, made a point of bringing up Elizabeth Warren. Pocahontas, as we, you know, he had some Indians, and he thinks immediately, Pocahontas. Here are these old men in their 90s, they're dressed in military uniform, <clears throat> many in wheelchairs, and they had to sit there and listen to the guy who was supposed to be lauding their service to this country, as usual, embarrass himself with his disservice to this country. Fleming Begay was 97. He became uh, one of more than 400 Navajo code talkers. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought these code talkers were, you know, like in D.C., you know, sitting in an office doing stuff. That's not where they were at all. These Navajos were out in the field of battle. They were creating these top-secret coded messages sent from fields of battle. So, 
Fleming Begay, whose obituary I'm referring to here, uh, was wounded uh, more than once. He was part of a lot of, uh, of action, actual military action. His landing craft was blown up. He literally had to swim to a beach to survive in one, in one instance. He was physically wounded, shot up pretty badly in uh, battle in the Mariana Islands. And he was there because of this ability he had to speak a language and a coded form of that language that the, the most brilliant minds in Japan, or for that matter probably anywhere, could not crack. And as so many men of his generation who did such remarkable things, he never talked about it. Asked a few years ago, he did say, I was proud to serve my country. You know, it was already our country. We were just helping to make sure it stayed our country. Fleming Begay, creator it says here, maybe he was he the original creator of Unbreakable Navajo Code. Okay, and next, a woman who I had not heard of, and oh my God, what a woman. I want to mention Harriet Tubman later. This woman reminds me of Harriet Tubman in her just extraordinary strength and courage. This is a Spanish woman. Her name is Neus Catala. She died uh, last month at the age of 103. Almost her entire life she fought she fought against Franco in the Spanish Civil War. She went to Barcelona, got her nursing degree, and then was put in charge of an orphanage. In 1939, when Franco's forces were advancing, uh, she was 23 years old. She rounded up all her orphans and marched all of those children, there were over a hundred of them, marched them over the Pyrenees, the snow-covered Pyrenees, and she found shelter for every one of them in France and found them foster homes. She was 23 years old. She now was in France and stayed there herself. She married a Frenchman, and then the next year, Hitler. 
invades France. Naos immediately, with her husband, joined the resistance. She helped captured resistance fighters uh, escape. She gave uh, refuge to them. She falsified documents, uh, hide messages, always carried a weapon. She uh, had weapons under her headscarf or in the baskets of vegetables that she carried on her bicycle as she rode through Nazi checkpoints. This is a 24, 25-year-old young woman of extraordinary courage. And then someone ratted her and her husband out. She was arrested in 1943. She was tortured by the Nazis and then deported to Ravensbrück. Her husband was sent off to another concentration camp. Most people in Ravensbrück uh, died uh, by starvation and illness, although many were executed as well. Most who went there never came out. She did. And she did after spending the rest of the war as a slave laborer in an arms, a German arms factory where she organized other workers to sabotage the bullets they were making. In her words, we used sabotage to produce about 10 million faulty bullets and thousands of unusable artillery shells. We threw everything we had into that production line. Flies, cockroaches, oil, our own spit. By the time that camp was uh, liberated, she describes herself as almost dead. We were just skulls with eyes. I was a bag of bones. Her husband, dead. Incredibly, she remarried and had two children. Incredibly, because at Ravensbrook, she had been part of a medical experiment uh, designed to make uh, women stop menstruating. And one of the things, obviously, that would happen if there was no menstruation is they could not procreate. So it was believed that she was infertile, but she gave birth to two. I, here's a woman who all her life, and they say that even up until the last few years, she was involved in, in all kinds of uh, social justice efforts. Neus Catala, 103 years old. Resistance fighter, concentration camp survivor, fascist fighter. 
remarkable woman. I'm being told our sound is low. Um, I'm being told it's nothing new. Um, <laughs> Tony says, doesn't bother me because I'm used to it. It's just the way things roll. Well, it's very sweet of you to be so accommodating, but um, it's not okay with me. So, we thought this mic had perhaps resolved the issue. Obviously, it has not. Um, and we'll do what we have to. And Barbara says it's still low for me, and I paid extra for a better sound bar. Sorry. I am. Mary writes, Lynn, I was listening to your show yesterday about the tree on your street being cut down. Later in the day, I was taking the self-guided tour of the monuments of South Park. And to my surprise, at the center of the traffic circle is a monument with the poem by, I didn't know his first name was Alfred, Alfred Joyce Kilmer. It brought tears to my eyes. All I could think of is you <laughs> and your tree. My mom used to recite that poem when I was growing up. I've driven around this traffic circle hundreds of times and never knew it was there. What perfect timing it's from a fellow tree hugger. I used to know that poem by heart, but I don't anymore. Let me see if I can. She sent me a picture, and it's been. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree, a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the earth's sweet flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day, and lifts her leafy arms to pray. A tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. Maybe I should slip that poem under in their mailbox. What do you think? They're the type, though, who have these like video doorbells, I bet, because they probably have surveillance cameras, so they'll immediately know it was me. Um, I am waiting to uh, casually encounter one of the occupants, adult occupants of that house. And, I mean, I'm not, it, there's no point in berating them. I am going to let them know, though, that I miss very much that tree. Yeah. Oh. Okie doke. <coughs> 
I said I was going to mention Harriet Tubman, and I am. Uh, Mike is, Jonathan says the sound is fine. Mike says, I think the mic has helped. Uh, you are much louder on my system, so don't sing. <laughs> uh, you know, of course, that makes me want to sing. I'm 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 night now. There's a battle going on in my head. Don't sing. Okay. You know, back in the old days in radio, when I couldn't get a caller, and I had three hours to fill. <coughs> sometimes it usually, I mean, almost always, I guess it would work. If I threatened, I said, "Okay, I'm going to start singing." And I'm going to sing. The only way you're going to stop me is if somebody calls. And that usually was a way to get callers. But I won't sing. I won't. I am someone who was meant, I know, to have a beautiful voice. I have the soul of a singer. I just don't have the other apparatus. Okay, so that vial... Treasury Secretary of I, our Stephen Mnuchin, was on Capitol Hill um, for various reasons uh, yesterday. And one of the things that he uh, let us know was that plans to put Harriet Tubman's picture on the $20 bill replacing slaveholder and Indi Native American genocider Andrew Jackson um, that that will not be happening for like 10 years. Why? Unclear. He said something about counterfeiting and having, but other people say he's pushing it away because Donald Trump is again it. And he doesn't want to have to deal with Trump coming in and destroying it. So supposedly Mnuchin kicked it into a non-Trump future uh, to save uh, Tubman for the $20 bill. Who the hell knows? When it was suggested that Harriet Tubman replace Jackson, of course, Trump did go insane at the time. And he said uh, she should uh, she should get a bill, but something like the two dollar bill. Yeah. When's the last time you had a two dollar bill? Eh? Any time this country has ever put a woman on a piece of currency, right? It's always some coin that you never use, right? Like the Susan B. Anthony dollar, which nobody ever wanted to have. Some people didn't even, you know, know what its value was. So Harriet Tubman, an extraordinary woman. I think there's a new book out on her because I was reading something. I thought it was a review. Gee, God almighty, what a, what a, what a. She was like five feet tall, and she was known for her extraordinary physical strength. 
But for, she had like, uh, at the time, it would have been like a million dollar bounty on her head. And it didn't stop her for a minute from coming back down into the south where she had that bounty on her head, grabbing a, a whole bunch more of slaves and getting them to safety. She made that trip, I don't know how many times, tons of times. You know, most people, put, think of yourselves, you get out, you, you break out of jail, right? You're going back to get some of your friends out? Mm, probably not. You mustered all the courage you had just to break out of jail and get the hell to the north. She kept coming back. Mnuchin said, uh, don't be looking... This was supposed to come out in, in, in uh, 2020. Mnuchin said, uh, no, this has now been postponed until at least 2026... And and then the bill would not likely be in circulation until 2028. And of course, this is the way we treat women. This is the way we treat women of color, certainly. But I look forward. Because... The 20 is the bill we all got all the time, because that's what the ATMs are spitting out. And that white-maned son-of-a-bitch Jackson on every, you know, we carry him everywhere. How wonderful it will be to see instead this miraculous woman's face. Hope I live long enough. Okay, I am being reminded that it is May 23rd, which is the 143rd day of the year. And our governor, Tom Wolf, has deemed this a special state day in which we are all charged with trying to act like Mr. Rogers <laughs> today. Okay? Now, I've already screwed up uh, big time, but I, I, I'm, you know, I hate days, but I, I, because, okay, so I think we should try to be more Mr. Rogers-like every day of the year, but if it draws attention to this gentle soul who believes so strongly in treating everybody with respect. I was thinking of him yesterday. Why? I can't even remember. He comes into my head so often. Um, his extraordinary gentleness and I think the thing that was most astonishing to me by virtue of knowing him 
is how strong, determined, and I mean, he, he, he like he had a calling, and God help you if you got in his way. In that quiet, gentle way, always looking you right in the eye, he would disarm anybody. People were always whispering, is he gay? I mean, he's so, so, you know, all the qualities he seemed to show are considered feminine. Actually, he was one of the strongest men I have ever had the pleasure to know. I mean, you got to be really strong if you don't flex, have to flex a muscle, have to raise your voice. Simply by the, the strength of his character, the certainty with which he approached every problem. I mean, he just, he was something. We could do a lot worse than trying to emulate Fred Rogers. One, four, three. I love you. And his, his weight. You know, he was like six feet tall. 143. That's skinny. I'm not six feet tall. I weigh more than 143, I can assure you. Um, God. Strength. And Jonathan has sent me a Mr. Rogers song called Tree, Tree, Tree. He says, here, play this for your jerk neighbors. Okay, well, I don't, I, okay. I, I'll listen to it later, but thank you, Jonathan. Oh. Speaking of, you know, the Harriet Tubman thing and how women, you know, are just constantly getting, and people of color, and she was both, just constantly shoved aside, right? Have to wait a long, 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 long time to get recognition, our due, because it's white men everywhere. White men! God. And then I came on this, this incredible thing. You know, I don't allow Surrey or Alexis or any of those disembodied broads to be anywhere near me. I mean, I don't. If you ever hear the words, hey, Siri, come out of my mouth, you will know I've lost my mind because I refuse to let these things into my house. They're slaves. I, do people really love being able to order somebody to do something, right? Siri, put on my radio. Siri, turn down the lights. Siri, play this and that. Siri, turn that off. Siri, who's this and that? Answer this question. Do this. Here's the thing. 
you'd all be better off getting up, doing the shit yourself. I can tell you that right now. I bet America's obesity epidemic started when we figured out how to have the, you know, the television remote. At least you just have to, like, get up. And then when we had the remote and we could click, 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 there started our attention span. Hmm? The inability to just stay where you are. And if you don't like where you are, then get up and move. So anyway, I've wondered why. Not really. So how come these new kind of robotic domestic slaves that so many people love are always women? Hmm? Well, because women, culturally, we know, are pleasers. Women are obliging. Women are used to having people say, Hey, get me this. What's that? Play this. Turn that on. Turn that off. Because that's what women, real breathing, flesh and bone, women deal with all the time. So, of course, when we have these disembodied voices that we invite into our lives, of course they're females. Now, I understand that you can like make it into a male voice. Nobody wants to. Because it's, it's discordant. It's, it's, uh, it's jarring to our sense. You don't order men around. Okay, so... Turns out that people are noticing this and they're saying this is just more sexism. In fact, a United Nations report said that using these female names and voices to be essentially the slaves of today we are letting generations, younger people, know that this is a woman's place. If you think that's not true, then you're, I mean, give me a break. All of this crap is designed by men, right? Now, they will use male voices when they, I mean, studies have shown, they, people want a reassuring woman's voice. Um, they're generally quieter and more dulcet in their tone, and, and the sense of a woman is being subservient. Think of the of Hal in 2001. That was a male voice on a computer, and he wasn't subservient, as it turns out, right? Hal was scary. People do like the sound of a male voice when it is when they want 
something to sound, come on, fill in the blank, authoritative. But when the job is helpfulness, they want, Surrey, Alexa. Microsoft has a female named Cortana, which is uh, the name of a character in the Halo video game, which is projected, by the way, as a sensuous, uh, naked <laughs> woman. Uh, I don't know. So baked into these, um, the humanized personalities that they've given these uh, artificial intelligence helpers um, are, you know, generations of masculine perceptions of women because that's who's programmed them. The UN report says, the more that culture teaches people to equate women with assistance, the more real women will be seen as assistants. And in fact, be penalized if they're not more assistant-like. Oh, excuse me, sir, may I help you? So, anyway, voices of servility female I say I'd like Harriet Tubman's voice I don't even know what it sounded like but I bet she didn't sound like Sarah or Alexa Alexa or whatever the fuck I you know I have to tell you whenever I am and I have friends who have this shit and love it if I'm in their homes and they'll say, Siri, play, I really, I mean, I've stopped haranguing them every time, but I, I, I li it literally upsets me. It just upsets me. It pisses me off. And the only time, every once in a while, my phone will, like, freak out and I, uh, the, this voice will come out. And, I mean, I... I do nothing but scream if I if if ever somebody pops up one of those disembodied voices. Shut the fuck up! I mean, really, I got. Uh uh, I ain't going there. You guys can go if you want, but I am not. And speaking of going, oh my my, did I? I've been. Like, what's going to happen when you die? Are you going to be cremated or are you going to be buried? Do you know? Have you decided? And if you're going to be buried, do you have a plot and all that? I mean, have you taken care of that business? Because I still not really have. I mean, I, I know there's a plot waiting for me in Green Bay. I can rest my bones there. And, you know, that's probably where I guess I'll be. Hey, what? Cremation is, first of all, um, it's a my religion uh, does not allow it, although lots of Jews will get cremated. The idea 
of fire is so frightening to me. Um, I, I can't go there for any reason. Can't. The idea of being put in a airtight box and stuck in the ground. I mean, all of this is nonsense, right? Because it's not like I will have consciousness then. I won't be anymore. It'll just be the carcass that I was, that I lived my life in. But the thing that made the most sense to me, you know, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, the thing that made the most sense is when I started to hear about what's called green burial. Um, and that's where there's no casket. You're simply, I, I guess, wrapped in a shroud. And this would very much be part of my religion to do that. And um, no headstones, no markers. You are put into the ground, but it's not in, it's in a while, you know, where nature is just, you're just stuck under the ground and no one knows you're there. And yeah, you become part of the forested natural environment. That, that seems the greatest thing to me until I read this today. Here's the headline, New York Times today. Law allows the composting of human remains. And I'm looking at a rendering of a facility called Recompose. And in it, there are these, these big circular containers. And you'd put your body in there. And here's what they do. <laughs> if I'm freaking any of you out, that's fine. But I mean, I mean, hey, guys, hey, hey, this just in. We're going to die. Uh, burial, the way we do burial is nuts. Where, you know, in these lead-lined caskets where our remains cannot return to nature. I mean, it's crazy. It's nuts. Um, the way we do burial, to me, is insane. The way uh, cremation makes more sense, but I just have a personal aversion to it. Um, green burial sounds really good. And this is like green burial, only listen to this. Here's what it would be. If you've got no problem having your body stuck into a crematorium and set a fire, by the way... By the way, releasing significant greenhouse gases. Most people now are going for cremation rather than burial. Let me tell you something. Cremation is so environmentally awful. Where did I see? They actually said how much, how much energy and how many things are spent. So, so, you know, it's not the way to, to do it. But here, you put a body, you wrap it in organic materials, you put it in this, you know, lay it in this container like you would lay it in a coffin, only you also bathe it in air 
that is warmed by microbes. And the containers slowly turn. You know, you have a compost bin, turn it, turn it. The bodies totally have decomposed in four weeks, producing one cubic yard of soil. That's what we would turn into, a cubic yard of soil. And then, if you want, the company can return that soil, which is now essentially compost, to loved ones who can spread it in a garden and maybe plant a tree, a tree, so much better than a headstone, plant a tree and let that tree take its nourishment from you. I think this is brilliant. Anyway, I have to tell you, the legislature of Washington State has passed a bill saying, go for it. This will be fine. You can do this here. Uh, the governor, Jay Inslee, is one of the guys running for the Democratic uh, nomination. Uh, because he's so freaked out about global warming and environmental issues, and he definitely signed it. And it says Washington State is likely the first place in the world to explicitly allow human remains to be composted. The Catholic Church is freaked out, says, No! <laughs> Disposing human remains in such a manner fails to show enough respect for the body of the deceased. All right, fine. The body is meaningless at that point. The body is not... We... we are in our souls, our souls that are just carried around in our bodies. Anyway. Above ground decom decomposition is attractive for ecological reasons. You don't buy a coffin. No chemicals of any kind are ever used. None of the fossil fuels the cremation uses, the energy used to cremate one body is equivalent to the monthly home energy demands of an average American household. So don't think by cremation you're doing something, you know, wonder, wondrous. I love the simplicity of this. I really, really love it. I'm just saying. Roger writes, Harriet Tubman was the beginning of my white man guilty conscience. <laughs> I read two of her biographies when I was in fourth and fifth grades. I was hooked. 
50 years later, I did the DNA test and found that 80% of my DNA is traced to England, Scotland, and Ireland. I'm the whitest white man. Most of my ancestors arrived in North Carolina in the 1700s. My grandmother grew up on a Florida plantation and called African Americans the N-word. Living in Washington, D.C., my aunts and uncles had to go shopping for her as she would request store help by saying, Hey, N-word, come here. That was your grandmother. My guilt runs deep. I apologize to all my African-American friends, telling them my family stole you from Africa, brought you here, put you in chains, sold you. They were members of the KKK from Virginia to Florida. And Roger says they, they give him dispensation. Okay, Roger, you're okay. <laughs> oh, my. So. <sighs> Only in America. Um, there's a large article, a large article in um, <clears throat> the Times today about how some women are getting massaged by boa constrictors. Uh, yeah. You lie on a massage table and somebody sticks boa constrictors on you. I got to tell you, this does not sound like a good idea to me. Um... The the snakes slither over your body, wrapping themselves where they want. <clears throat> I once had a boa constrictor draped over my shoulders. First of all, this thing, I could not believe how long it was. It was, I don't know, I'm not good at like... It had to have been, I mean, it was much longer than the span of my arms. It was it was probably like about 12 feet, maybe, maybe 12 feet. And I can't remember the exact reason, uh, but I had done, this is for a television report of some sort. I had done a television report and had managed to not really deal with the snakes much. But in presenting the report, I was on the set with the anchor and doing a lead-in to my own report. And then after the report, my grand idea had been that as soon as the, the viewers were looking at the report and before the camera came back to me and the anchor, the snake guy would put this boa constrictor on my shoulders, on my back and shoulders. And so when the camera came back to me, I would have this huge snake on me. And I thought that because it was live, 
TV. Um, I wouldn't scream. I would, you know, the show must go on. I would do what I had to do. And um, so they put this thing on me. And the first thing that was absolutely mind-blowing was how much it weighed. Good God! It was like, it felt like 50, 60, 70 pounds on my back. The circumference of this thing was like, it was bigger than that. I can't make it as big. It was like this huge behind me. The tail is way off over there. The head is over here. And the snake handler puts it on me as my piece is finishing up. And he says, here, just put, hold the snake. <laughs> so, snake, me, holding. And they came back to me. And I'm sure a lot of people at home said, oh, my God, look at that. Lynn's got to do And I kept my cool until... <clears throat> As I'm finishing up doing reading off the teleprompter, and so blah 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 blah, I see in my peripheral vision the head of the snake coming back at me. It had been out over there. I'm holding it, and all of a sudden I see this this tongue, this thing coming right at me, and I have to tell man. I sped up, is what I did. And some people... I was just so freaked. I have never found that, that video. It exists somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. But, uh, man, oops, I've gone over. Okay, that's it uh, for today. Thank you very much for listening to me. I am going to try to get through tomorrow's show without mentioning trees. I'm going to try. Can't promise a damn thing. See ya. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.